You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The US 10-year bond yield has risen from around about 0.7% around three years ago, 2020, to its late September 2023 level of just over 4.5%. This is a huge move with implications felt by consumers, by countries, corporates, and also economies. Why is it happening? Is it as simple as inflation and interest rate rises? Or is there something else behind it? With me is Jason Borbrasheen, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London. This has been a steep rise. And every time I listen to the US Fed and other commentators saying, well, you know, interest rates are going to remain high, I get the feeling, well, they're not going to go higher. And yet the yield goes high. What's going on, Jason? It's interesting, isn't it? So you have, I think, to think about bonds through multiple different lenses. And there's a big, I think, difference between some of the factors affecting shorter dated bonds and those affecting longer dated bonds. But we can get into that nuance in a second. The overall picture has been that some combination of fiscal and monetary stimulus during the COVID pandemic has unleashed some pretty pernicious inflation dynamics. At the same time as I think some of the structural changes, although perhaps they were a consequence of some of that stimulus in the labour market, so people leaving the labour force, etc., have meant that growth and income have led this cycle more than credit extension. And I think largely what we've seen from bonds is a pattern that's played out in a few different stages. So there was initially this move away from the view that it was lower for longer post-COVID and post all the stimulus. Um, I think that was somewhat of a normalization in the first stage that actually we didn't need to be on an emergency footing uh, to protect the economy. Then there was supply demand mismatch dynamics as economies reopened at different speeds. Um, and as it was more difficult to entice people back into the labor force than some had predicted. So there was this more uh, supply uh, led inflation dynamic and that caused the central banks eventually to react albeit in some people's views somewhat belatedly. More recently, I think it's actually a bit of a different dynamic whereby bond markets are questioning whether the pretty impressive rate rises we've seen out of most central banks in the developed markets are actually failing to have much impact on growth and even and perhaps more tangentially in the longer run, whether inflation is going to be a more persistent problem. So it's been this sort of maelstrom for bonds over the last three years in complete contrast to what we'd been used to over the preceding 40 years. So you can throw the textbooks out the window, in other words, given what we've seen in the last couple of years. Is that what you're saying? It depends who you ask, because some would say, actually, the last 10, 15 were an aberration. And so if you look at, I mean, there's data that once you go past sort of 50, 60 years, you have to be a bit uh, cautious on this. But there's data from the Bank of England that attempts to go back nearly 700 years on interest rates. And actually, we'd be at about average today. The problem for an investor is that it doesn't stay at the average level very long. It's either above it or below it. So I think you could make the case that the post-GFC period was quite unusual and we're not necessarily going to revert to that. But I think then a lot of the traditional dynamics that are important, particularly money creation, um, probably come back to the fore. 
That's very interesting. I'm just looking at something from the Financial Times. It's talking about a basis trade. It says here, over the past mm -hmm. month, the Bank for International Settlements, the BIS, a convening body for the world's central banks and the US Federal Reserve have both pointed to a rapid buildup in hedge fund bets in the treasury market. The so-called basis trade involves playing two very similar debt prices against each other, selling futures and buying bonds and extracting gains from the small gap between the two using borrowed money. So number one, leverage. Number two, this is an arbitrage trade, and maybe it's just short term, but uh, even though it's short term, it has billions and billions behind it. So maybe it's just an aberration. Yes. I mean, that trade has always been present, but is quite elevated currently. So what it essentially involves doing is buying what's called an off-the-run treasury. So one which has been, say, issued a long time ago, but is sitting at, say, 10 and a half or 10 years to maturity today. And against that, selling the on the run treasury, which means that's a sort of benchmark 10 year issue. So you don't really have a maturity mismatch, but it's not seen as the most liquid measure. So there would be a more recently issued bond, which more people tend to invest in. And you tend to get that illiquidity premium for the one which has been issued longer ago. So people effectively are arbitraging the idea that, well, these, should, these are issued by the same person the US, they've got the same maturity, yet one is yielding you a little more than the other. So in theory, you take that, you lever that up, and then when you get to maturity, they're all going to be yielding the same thing. The problem with that, obviously, is that during times of distress, and so the last time we saw this happen was during 2020, and as the COVID crisis began, then all your leverage comes to haunt you in the short run, and you are sort of picking pennies up in front of a steamroller, and all of a sudden, uh, you're getting margin calls. And it's normally the least liquid securities that get hurt the most there. So the things you were buying are getting hurt more than the things you were selling. That's why the Fed had to step in and many central banks had to sort of coordinate efforts, I think, during 2020 for that. Is that relevant for the broader Treasury yield question? I don't think so, because it's within that market. I mean, it may not be assisting things. But if we think about yields through the lens of uh, decomposing them, so the nominal yield on the 10-year, i.e. the yield that you will see in the FT, that you'll see in the financial press, is you know, around 4.5% today. As you say, that's risen from around 0.6, 0 0.7 at the lows of the sort of COVID crisis. That consists really of two parts. You can then decompose those further. But it consists basically of a real yield. So what is the economy going to see as its interest rate through time? And then you've got your inflation component to that. So... That real yield can then be further decomposed into the actual interest rates and this concept of term premium. And actually, all three things have been going against the bond market recently. It's interesting. So term premium, it could be seen by some as a spurious concept, but it may just relate to supply and demand dynamics. So obviously, those have worsened and term premium has increased a lot. So it was down at sort of minus 80, 90 basis points during COVID. It's now risen up to just um, above zero. Inflation expectations have actually picked up a little bit at the longer end of bond yields. And there's a view that actually um, having priced rate cuts into the bond market next year, those are less likely to actually come through. And that's what the Fed was messaging at their most recent meeting, um, so that fewer rate cuts are likely to be seen and maybe even one more hike this year. So that combination of things has gone against bonds 
in the more recent times. Okay, so there's a fundamental basis to this uh, rally from, you know, 0.7%, let's call it, in 2020 to its current level, end of September 2023 to uh, 4.5%. That's fine, but um, also the hedge fund aspect of it, the leverage aspect of it as well, has sort of exaggerated the movement. Now, the FT article goes on to say, the collision of heavy leverage with sudden and unexpected market movements and the speed with which that can cause potentially serious problems, they go on to say. What worries me is not the wind, because the wind has been fairly orderly. In other words, the market's been going up fairly steadily with a few aberrations here and there. What about the unwind? What happens if the inflation rate starts to fall and the interest rate um, cycle starts to fall as well, quicker than expected? The unwind could be quite ugly, Jason. Yeah, it's an interesting point that. So I would tend to think that when you raise the risk-free rates, you ultimately effectively drain the swamp and you see what's been hidden by it. So I think we got a flavour for that back in February, March with the failure of SVB and some other less well-capitalised or well-run US financials. And I think ultimately, as we see the second run-up in yields after that, because the Fed, I think, um, very well managed the risk of any kind of systemic falter, um, I do think we might start to see further the the nature of weakness amongst players in, in sort of sectors. Now, whether that's in financials or not is more difficult to say. I mean, you could look to private credit markets perhaps and worry a little bit about what might be hidden amongst that. Um, it's always very difficult in advance to pinpoint it. So ultimately, I think our view is that we've seen rates go up quickly, both interest rates and bond yields in a fashion we've not seen before, and historically it leads to some pretty nasty consequences, the timing of which can be very difficult. But it's ultimately been quite hard to engineer a soft landing for economies when you do that. There are instances of soft landings of the Fed hiking, standing away from what they've done, and actually managing to steer the economy to a safer place. The market's been pricing that for a while. I think the market's getting more nervous now that actually something more uh, difficult might be occurring, that inflation might be more sticky, that the Fed are going to need to do more, and I worry about what that means for those that are more leveraged in that context. Does this trade that we've been speaking about and does this economic situation that you've expanded upon mean that other asset classes are suffering? We've seen the stock market coming well off its highs. S&P was above 4,600 not that long ago. Mm -hmm. It's currently around about um, 4320, 40, yeah. uh, If the unwind that I rather uh, doomsayingly <laughs> starts to happen are there major implications for the other asset classes never mind the treasuries so i'm less worried honestly about the basis trade because i think it's so well understood it doesn't mean it's not going to cause problems but it can actually be directly hit by the central banks you know that's exactly what they were doing in 2020 the rise of it is symptomatic i think of the nature of what's been going on which is you know risk uh, aversion has been dying down. So during 2022, I think generally investors became very cautious. They had a lot of cash on the sidelines. That cash was paying a decent rate. Markets have rallied away again. And investors are starting to feel FOMO, I think, or had been up until the more recent move in, in equity markets, as you highlight. So I think it may or may not be something systemic like one of those trades revealing itself to uh, be much more pernicious than people expected. I would actually just put more money on it being a run-of-the-mill economic slowdown that hurts earnings and that causes downside for equities given their multiples. 
I do have more concern about credit markets. But again, whether that leads to a significant down move on more broad risk assets is up for questions. But I would just say that in credit markets, you look at the yield and again, decompose what it is. It's the rate you're getting on government bonds and it's a additional compensation for taking corporate risk. That corporate risk compensation is pretty low. It's quite skinny, I think, for the environment that we foresee. Most of your yields coming from the government bond side. And I just think that corporate bonds, you look at them from a quality perspective, it's reduced. I think you look at it from a performance in historical recession environments, it's very poor. Um, and I just worry somewhat about those given their liquidity. Very final question, Jason. Three years ago, the rate, as we've said on a couple of occasions, uh, below 1%, now above 4.5%, the US 10-year, that mm. is. How has that affected your strategy? What is your strategy at 91 now, given everything that you've just outlined? Yes. Okay. So we are cautious on risky assets. Um, we don't know that this is necessarily the end for them. So one way that we're playing that is to have less physically in them and own call options. Call options give you some upside participation if markets rally, but for a known loss if they if they fall. And that known loss is a bit less than it would be historically, given that volatility is actually quite low, and that's a key input to options. So that's how we're managing the upside downside on growth assets, on risky assets. We have effectively no credit exposure, given the concerns I've just outlined. So even investment grade, half of that now is at its lowest rating. And our, our concern is that in a downgrade or default cycle, that stuff gets sold by the passive managers automatically and falls into the high yield market and then probably gets bought by those managers because you've got higher quality things falling into your market, but they sell their existing positions as the benchmarks change as well. So credit's an area of concern and why we have little there. Bond-wise, we have been increasing our exposure, our interest rate sensitivity, um, from effectively below one year. One year of duration gives you 100 basis points of capital risk um, should bond yields rise by 1%. So we were down at a very low level last year. We are today at more like three years. So again, not gung-ho, but seeing value there. And I think if we do get signs that this slowdown is coming, given what I've said, I think that bonds in a cyclical fashion can do you a good job. But I think that structurally they may be more correlated to equities, which is why we're not sort of going over our skis on them. And then lastly, currency wise, we are short sterling. So we are concerned that the pound is seeing a big slowdown in growth. The economic side looks pretty poor. The Bank of England are doing a very questionable job of managing inflation. Um, so we're worried, I think, that the pound could be under quite a lot of pressure. Jason, thanks so much for your excellent analysis. That's Jason Borbera-Sheen, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.